Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Paul Julian and Friends, where I interview Don Howard, a retired member of the Dallas Fire Department. He was a inspector first and then an investigator. And before that, he was in the Army in the 1950s. He is a car guy. He is someone who gets stuff done. And he likes politics, state, local, and within the Fire Department Association. He has been called many things like most firemen have, but um, I think he was called the Kingmaker, except at one point in the episode. So I have a couple of episodes in a row where I've interviewed people in their 80s, and it's just a real pleasure to get their perspective on things and kind of just figure out how far we've come and they've come as far as just the things that we have available to us and it's they both seem really appreciative of their time and man don can remember names like nobody's business i mean i i remember zero names of teachers in high school but he like knows them all it's a long episode. Don't feel bad about hitting pause and coming back to it or listening to it on 1.25 or one and a half times uh, speed. But hey, uh, we're going to let it roll. We stop when we stop. And I hope you enjoy the episode and share it, like it, talk about it. Send me an email saying what you like or don't like. I would appreciate uh, any feedback that you're willing to give. So to the episode of Don Howard. Thanks for listening. I asked uh, Billy and Jamie Jordan if there was anything I should ask you, or Billy shot back with, did he ever have a drink at the debonair? (laughs) Did I ever? (laughs) Did you ever? (laughs) Here today at the end of December of 2022 with legendary Don Howard in the offices of the Dallas Firefighters Association, Local 58. Right. Correct. You told me recently how long you've been a dues-paying member, and that says something in and of itself. But tell us where you're from, you know, how old you are when you were born. I'd like to hear a little bit about how you ended up, you know, your years before you got on the fire department, before right. we get into all those interesting stories. I was born on August 7, 1937 in Sherman, Texas. When I was about two, we moved to Howe, seven dollars down the road. I went to high school, grade school in Howe, I went to high school in Sherman, graduated in May of 55, September of 55, I enrolled in Austin College, which was five blocks from where we lived, and that was an interesting story. My sister was a year older than I, she was involved in everything, and I was watching As the World Turns at home. (laughs) I've watched that. she came in from the college and she said, Bobby, you better get out there. The freshman is registered. I had not sent in one piece of paper, none. So my grandmother gave me a check. I went down there and got in line. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd graduated, what year did you graduate high school? 55. 55 and from I, Sherman. I guess Sherman was a small town then, correct? Yeah, about 25,000. I don't know how in the world I ever got in Austin College. I, I, it's, it's a miracle. But anyway, I, I went there. I was classified as a senior for quite some time, but 
I never did graduate. November of 59, I was going to school. And I decided I'm through with this. I was going to, I was, my long-term plans at that time was to be an attorney. Really? And I got to thinking about it. Man, I got at least three or four more years of school. So I went down and joined the Army. Okay. I was living at home. My grandparents raised me that day. I, I went home sometime later. And my grandmother said, what time do you need to get up in the morning for school? I said, I'm through. She said, what? I said, I, I'm not going anymore. I'm going to the Army on the 30th. Up and did it. Huh? And so I tell, I tell everybody that my high school reunion, the first one we had was 30 years. Okay. And I said, I went out there to Austin College till I got embarrassed spending my granddaddy's money, so I joined the <laughs> Army. <laughs> and I, I, I really, you know, I, I enjoyed the Army. I really did. I, and uh, I smiled a lot. And in basic training, it was Sergeant Sir. How are you smiling about it? I said, Sergeant, my serial number is RA18583601. I volunteered for this. When you volunteer for something, you're supposed to enjoy it. And I'm doing my best. <laughs> there you go. That's good <laughs> advice. You volunteer. Anyway, I ended, I ended up in Korea. And I spent 16 months over there. And I came back. I did my basic at Fort Hood. I came back to Fort Hood to be discharged. I was seriously thinking about re-enlisting. You had 90 days at that time. Mm -hmm. I was a Sergeant E-5. And I went home one weekend back to Sherman, my Buddy, since we were kids, got me a date with this girl, and a friend of the girl he was dating. Well, the girl he was dating and I got along really well, and I went back a couple of weekends. I thought, you know, maybe I don't want to, but my buddy came by and said, let's go to Denison and have a beer. Sherman was dry, so we... So Sunday, we went over to Denison and had a couple of beers and we're driving down the main street and we met a car, two gals he knew and he turned around and they were talking, I was just listening and, and uh, he said, you want to go with them? I said, no, not particular. And he said, well, just take my car and go home and they'll drop me, I'll pick it up, they'll bring me by there. So, you know, Daryl Royals, coach of Texas said, you know, you're supposed to dance with them that brung you. Right. And I was a little hiked at him that he decided to go do something else. I, I called the girl he was dating. She was living with a retired school teacher. So, okay, so this was this was two totally other girls that were in this other yeah, car that yeah, he went with. Okay, yeah. unrelated. Okay. So I go home and I call. I look up the school teacher in the phone book, mm -hmm. and she had taught me math in high school. And I called, and and I said. Miss Dye was her name, and she answered the phone. I said, is, is Barbara there? She said, no, she's gone to Bonham, mother and daddy's. And and my grandmother was sitting there in the den. She said, some girl named Barbara called you the other day. Really? <laughs> so when she came she came in, and she called me, and I said, would you like to go to the movie? And I said, this is what's playing now, and it changes Wednesday. Which, which would you like to go to this movie or the other one? She said, well, I, I think I'd like to, probably like to see the other one. I don't remember what they were. I said, well, okay, I'll, I'll call you Wednesday and we'll make some plans. She said, well, what are you doing right now? And I said, I'm sitting here talking to you. She said, we could go get a Coke. <laughs> so I went, I picked, went and picked her up and that, that was it. I decided I, did, I liked her better than I did Dormy. Right. So we ended up getting married. When I, I came home from the Army and went to Bowling Alley, 
then run, I had worked for General Telephone in the summers when I was in college, and my boss was at the phone line. He said, hey, I haven't seen you. Where you been? I said, I've been in the Army for the last three years. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm drawing $48 a week unemployment. My car payment's $48 a month, so <laughs> I'm still over at my grandmother and granddad's trying to decide what to do. And he said, well, if you want a job, you know, tell me. Call me. So there's a bunch of firefighters there at the bowling alley. I knew one of them. I knew one of them. You know, so we started talking. They said, "Hey, they're gonna hire some firemen." I said, "Who in the hell wants to be a fireman?" He, <laughs> and he said, "It, it, it ain't bad." Uh-huh. So I got on the fire department at Sherman. Okay. What year was that? That was '63. Okay. Well, actually, yeah, probably '60. I got out in November the 29th of '62. Uh, so it's probably, you know, early in the next year. Mm-hmm. So I went to work there. There's three of us. They hired three of us. I trained. What was the, what was the test to get on back in that time? What did you have to do as chairman? The written exam? Yeah, or? There was, yeah that was okay. the written exam. Okay. And, you, you know, the chief asked me why I wanted to be a fireman. I said, well, don't really know, except I've got a lot of buddies who do it, and they're enjoying <laughs> it, so, you know, why not? Anyway... They hired three of us. We had been there, let's see, 63, about a little over two years. And they were giving a test for drivers. So I called the chief and I said, Chief, if you put that test off 15 days, there were three of us to be able to take the test. And he said, well, I've already sent it to civil service, you know. Well, the civil service director was a year older than me in high school, and I knew enough on him to put him in jail. So I called him. Tim? <laughs> <laughs> They give it that driver's test, 15 days, three more be eligible. And he said, if the chief will contact me and ask me to put it off, I will, but I can't do it myself. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. So that, that sort of bothered me a little bit, you know. And my wife had been wanting to move. and So I called a guy with a plumbing company, and he said, I, I got a job in Garland. And, he said, if you want it, you can have it. I said, I'll work a two-week notice, and I'll do that. So okay. I went to work in Garland and in the central office, and I drove back and forth for a week. And about Wednesday of that week, I said, we're going Saturday, we're going to Garland to find an apartment, and Sunday we're moving, which we did. <laughs> and so she got a job with an insurance company, and I was with the phone company. Well, once you have a better farmer, you don't do anything else, you ruined. Right. So, Jordan was high as a farmer, so I, I applied, took a test, passed the test, went to the interview. The chief was sitting at one end of the table, Burkhart was his name. And Nelson was a fire marshal. He was sitting over here, talent, personnel director, and a couple of grizzly captains. Mm-hmm. The neighbor interviewing me and the, the personnel director said, Don, where you hire you? You just want to ride the tailboard 20 years? I said, no, I want that man's job there. <laughs> and he said, well, when I get through with it, you can have it. And I said, I'll try to be ready. <laughs> so one of these old captains says, hell, the boy's better for me. He knows what he's getting into. I think we ought to hire him. Yeah. So personnel director says, go over and see this doctor for a physical and call me at four o'clock if you pass the physical. So okay. I called him at four o'clock and I said, I passed the physical. He said, well, Don, I hate to tell you this, but 
Chief Burkhart said he didn't think you'd put in his plans, and I'm sure he thought I was a smart ass, which I am. <laughs> but you know, I wasn't going. Let's I be honest, gonna, right? I was going to study. I, yep. you know, I was going to try to move up. You thought? I mean, you'd think that uh, ambition would be, you know, something that they would appreciate. Yeah. But I guess not. <laughs> Get too close to home for him. Yeah, I guess. Anyway, one Sunday, Barbara said. She's looking at the paper. She said, they're hiring fire inspectors in Dallas. I, I said, I told her, I said, I'm going to Dallas. And she said, oh, no, no, the buildings are too big. And I, I said, they got a lot of people. Yeah. You know. I said, what's a fire inspector? I said, I don't have the slightest idea. So, <laughs> pardon me. So I called my boss's phone company, and I said, I need about two hours in the morning. So I went to the civil service tent. Mm -hmm. I went to work back to work. About 11.30, my wife called, and, and she said, some fire chief called and wanted to talk to you. And here's his name and number. It was Chief Ray, who was Deputy Chief Assistant Fire Marshal, and he ran the inspection division. So I called him, and he said, John, you did real good on that test. He said, I'd like to interview you. I said, he said, I know it's hard when you're working, you know, to get off and all this. Could you come to my house for an interview after work? And I said, well, where do you live? He said, I live in Oak Cliff. And uh, off of Laurel Land, you know where that is? And I said, yes, sir. He said, well, when can you come? I said, tonight. And he said, no, you can't come tonight. I have to go to the union meeting. The, the meeting in November, see. Mm -hmm. You had to go to Union meeting to vote. It was election. Okay. So he had to go vote. Had to go vote. Oh, gotcha. So I said, you know, that's, that union must be pretty important. You know, you got a deputy chief going down there. So I went out there and interviewed him. He interviewed him. I said, uh, you know, he said you were going to union meeting. And uh, he said, yes, I had to go vote. We're having an election. And uh, I said, well, I remember CWA, and my granddaddy was union. Uh, railroad machinist. I said, you know, I'm sort of familiar with union activities and all that. And we just talked about different things. And I talked about the Army and the telephone company and being married. My wife was pregnant at the time. And uh, he said, well, you got the job. Now you need to go apply. And I said, why'd I do that? <laughs> you go to 2111 Main, the second floor, yeah. and do that. So I, I, did, I did all that. I got hired December the 1st of 66. I reported for work, you know. And okay. I so went in the office there and asked for Chief Ray, and this tall, slender guy stuck his head around the corner out of office, and he said, are you Howard? I said, yes, sir. He said, I'm Captain Willett. He said, Ferris is off today, and I'm running the show. So he took me back into the room where all the inspectors were. Mm -hmm. And say, we got a new boy here. <laughs> and he introduced me and told, told him a little bit. He and I had a short conversation. And O.C. Wallace, who was the steward, union steward, mm -hmm. he walked up to me and he said, are you going to join the union? I said, how'd I do that? He said, give me $3. So I just handed him $3. <laughs> so I'm a member. Been a member a long time. Yeah, I have the, I have the uh, minute book upstairs. And uh, they voted they voted on me in August, I mean in January. And so, so you had to be accepted? Yeah. Okay. 
Do you, were you before this? Were you like involved in? Were you like class president of your high school class Lord, or anything no, like I, that? Or no, you know? no. I I wanted a car. A friend of mine was working at a Hamburg joint. He said they're hiring somebody. So I went down. And said, I started as a car hop. Okay. You know. Yeah. And and then I went inside. I worked there all all through high school, and I was all I, I was on my third car. Oh really? And my senior. Were you not a very good driver? Or you just no, well, kept, kept trading up. The first one was a '42 Plymouth four-door sedan. It was about the color of peanut butter, and the radio worked on one station. And and uh, there was a '48 Plymouth Club coupe on the Lincoln Mercury used car lot, and I wanted it. And I told my granddaddy, "I want to sell that car and buy this one." He said, "No, you've got a car. That's good enough." <laughs> So one of the guys I worked with, he had a 41 Ford. And one Sunday, I was at work, and he was off, and he came in, and he said, hey, can I, can I borrow your car? I need to go out to my cousin's to get some tools to work on my car, and I just tossed him the key. Well, he wrapped it around a tree. Oh, boy. <laughs> so I got to get to 48. Well, I got you. <laughs> and By necessity. It was, it was a cool little car, and another story concerning that, but. And then it it began to get hot. I decided, well, I'll just get another one. So I got I got a '53. I traded that in on a '53 Plymouth. Anyway, no, I I worked the whole time. It and uh, I hadn't got that last one quite paid for. Okay. And and at midterm my senior year, I told my granddaddy, I said, Papa, I'm quitting work. I've you know I've worked all through high school. I want to enjoy my last semester. And, uh, if you want to sell the car, that's fine. I, you know, I still owed a little money on it. Right. He said, "No, don't worry about that." And so, we started going after after school. We go to Lake Texoma. We would go up there. Well, maybe one guy couldn't go till five thirty. Mm-hmm. I'd drive back down and get him. Oh, really? Came back <laughs> you're, you're putting some miles on it. Well, huh? I I I can't remember how much the gasoline bill was. I had one of my granddaddy's golf credit cards. He said, Bubba, <laughs> you, you were buying a lot of gasoline. I said, well, Papa, you know, I'm just, just enjoying it. I never, you know, worked all the time. And I had two sisters, an older sister and a younger sister. And the younger sister was raised by my parents. Okay. My older sister and I were raised by the grandparents. Okay. I said, you got two granddaughters. You only got one grandson. He said, I don't. Well, I'm happy because I don't think I can afford to. <laughs> but anyway, then I went on out there. I mentioned that 48 Plymouth. After I retired and all that sort of stuff, I said, you know, I'm going to get me a different car, you know, something different. And I thought about it. I had a 48 Plymouth. I had a 65 Chevelle, which we bought new. I had a 70 Monte Carlo. I had a 60 Chevrolet Impala convertible with 348, three diesels and a four-speed, which my 20-minute wife got that. And then I had a 57 Chevrolet convertible. So I said, you know, of all the cars, I believe I like that little 48 Plymouth to be. Really? So I'm going to build me one. Okay. You can't find one. You can find two doors, four doors, but no club coupes. Hmm. 
So I go online and I find one in New Elm, Minnesota. So I called that guy, talked to him about the phone. So I flew up there. I called a guy picked me up. It was 70 miles to New New Elm. Oh, really? <laughs> so I I got there and I got me a hotel room and to call the guy. He came and got me. We went out there and looked at it. Had no motor, no transmission, and no seats. I said, "Well, you throw that stuff away anyway." Right. So I paid three grand for it. Cost me six hundred dollars to get it back down here. I took it out to Lucio Gonzalez. Do you know Lucio Twenty mm-hmm. Five? Yep. I took it out there. Yeah. And we we took it, took the body off, re- rebuilt it. It's got a three fifty with a cam. 700 R4 transmission, power steering, power brakes, power seats, power windows, air condition. <laughs> there's no there's no rubber hoses under the hood. Everything woven stainless steel. Really, it is gorgeous. I bet oh, it is. Got fender skirts and spotlights and fog lights and <laughs> Fulton sun visor. 96 louvers in the hood, but it looks just like one I had. Really. My wife wanted to divorce suicide, so we did that, which was a mistake. I told Lucio, I said, Lucio, they make a kit to do this. And his body guy said, man, you just take the right hinge and put it on the left and the left on the right, and you do it. So they did it, and it worked. But those doors are so big and heavy. Oh, yeah. My wife said, well, where are you going to put this thing? I said, I'm just going to put a tarp over it. She said, oh, no. <laughs> you got to build a garage. And that was, so I have four four-car carport, so I converted one of those into a garage. Okay. And that was another story with the building inspection in Garland, but anyway, I got it done. And she wanted one of those metal roll-down doors. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't give them away, but anyway, we had one. So she I figured I, She figured you got the car, at least she could get the garage door. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so that's that, story about the garage is too long. But anyway, <laughs> I go out there, you know, I'm going to take the car out, and I push the button. I couldn't get the damn door open. And, and so I called Lucio. Hey, I can't even get in this damn thing. <laughs> so he came over there. He got in it, started it up. He brought his trailer. He said, I'm going to take it and fix those doors. I'm going to put the kits on the doors. And he's had it ever since. Uh oh. I haven't seen it in about six months. Oh my goodness. But he runs it outside every day. He's gotten a jillion dollars worth of work over. It. Yeah. One one while they were right after he got it finished, and they were sitting outside out there and the guy stopped and he, he came in there and they said, Who did this work on this car? And he said, We did. He said, I got a fifty five Chevrolet, I retired airline pilot and I live in I think he said Virginia or Tennessee, back east. I'm going to bring it down here once you do the interior. So the guy brought it down and they did the interior. So there's a job he got off of mine. Right, yeah, yeah. He's making he, money off I, of it. I you. know he got a bunch more. It's the last honor guard meeting, he said, I'm, we call it May. You know, they're called Plymouth Mayflowers. Okay. And he said, so we call it May. And it's got a hood ornament like a ship. It's got a light in it. Oh, okay. I bet it is pretty. <laughs> it is. It's gorgeous. I don't have I, I, I don't have a picture of it on my phone. Okay. A little side story. Maybe Lucio could send you one sometime. <laughs> our thirty uh, fifth reunion, and my wife has passed away in the meantime, and I'm spending a lot of time at the clubs acting ignorant. 
about 8.30, everybody's gone, you know. Mm-hmm. So I come back to Dallas, and I go to my club, and I go back up there, because I had a hotel room up there. I get back up there, and I go in the bar, and the class president is sitting at the end of the bar, but I just sit down here. We probably didn't say 15 words in high school, you know. He's from the, other, he don't, from the rich side of town and all this stuff. And he said, Don Howard, come back here. So I went back there, and he said, Don Howard, he had the coolest car. <laughs> and I thought, hey, he drove his daddy's Oldsmobile. I said, now here's, a, here's the most popular guy in my class, and he thinks I had a cool car. Right. And I think, that, I think that played a part in me getting the 48. That's right. But anyway, back to the fire department. It it took me. I couldn't get anybody to go to union meeting. Nobody wanted to go. And finally, Billy Baker said, "I'll go with." And where was the union hall back then? Was it? We were meeting at the White Plaza Hotel. Okay. There at Harwood and Main. Yep. That's where we graduated rookie school. And when I graduated, we met on the mezzanine floor there. So it was either March or April of 67. Okay. I, we started going. I went both nights. I enjoyed it because it's a totally different crowd. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I went. So I ran for first vice president. Pete Rick was first vice president. He was a training chief. One of the tra- Everybody was chief in training back then. And I got beat. So I ran again the next year. And I was elected. And... First vice president in, in December of '69. I had, I had three years and twenty days on the fire department, okay. and I am the first vice president <laughs> of local 617. Right. I mean, Part of it is showing up. You got to show. If you don't show up, you can't get elected. I beat a captain had 25 years on a, really? in a runoff. Hmm. So, as I was off and running, been running ever since. Yeah. Why? Why did you think it was important to join? And then, more importantly, uh, be involved. Well, I perceived it as a kingmaker. Okay. The the first president, elected president, was Ernest Emerson. He was a captain at the time. Forrest Francis was a battalion chief when I when I joined. Mm-hmm. Coy Weaver was secretary treasurer. He was a battalion chief. Okay. First vice president was Pete Rick. He was a battalion chief. Okay. So you know, this looks like a place to be. So I was first vice president, then Barney McKenzie was, they split it because we didn't have dues checkoffs. So you had a recording secretary and a financial, and Barney had been elected the financial. And so I ran for the guy who took the first recording secretary. He didn't run again. I ran. So I became the recording secretary. Okay. And then I became, I, Barney decided not to run, so I ran for the financial secretary. So I went to the financial secretary. So and you're holding these all at the same time or different right, times? Different years. Okay. Progressed through. Okay. So I'm I'm elected financial secretary and everything's in the book. All the financial activities in the book. Okay. Written down in the book, ninety percent of the time is at the bookkeeper, so there's no financial report. Okay. Robert Vaughn was the president. I said, Robert, this ain't, this, I don't want to do this. I, I want to go talk to a CPA and get this like it ought to be. And so his wife owned a print shop, so I went to his CPA. And we talked about it. And he said, I said, the president gets $300 a month 
financial secretary gets 150, recording secretary gets 150. He said, is that salary? I said, no, it's an expense account. He said, do you require receipts? And I said, no. He said, that's salary. <laughs> so he shows me how to take the base and FIT and FICA and get the net and all this sort of stuff. So I start doing this. Well, the first quarter, you send that money that, you know, that you, I've withheld from your salary mm -hmm. plus my match on Social Security. You send that to a bank. Mm -hmm. Well, about, I don't know, a month, a month and a half, the guy called me, the CPA called me, and he said, how long have y'all been doing this? <laughs> and I said, since the start, 1957. I got a call from Internal Revenue about this. You know, when that deposit hit the bank, it, I guess they reported to Internal Revenue and Internal Revenue never heard it. Right, and says, well, what is he this He said, you know, you could be liable for bank taxes, penalty, and interest. I said, we're out of business. <laughs> <laughs> Simple know, as that, huh? We're gone. Yeah. He said, well, I'll talk to him. So he, talk, he talked to him, and in a couple of weeks, he calls and said, hey, everything's smooth if you continue Can to you do just it. Keep it coming. He, and he said, you know, you, you need to set up a system so you know where your money's going. I, I set up a line out of bookkeeping. We later went to a line out of budget. But, you know, the, it was set up. Mm -hmm. I, all they just decided to put money in each mm -hmm. line. I was financial secretary. So I decided to run for president. Rob, Robert Vaughn is not going to run again. So here I've been, first vice president, recording secretary, financial secretary. So I'm running for president. Richard Waxman nominates Ken Bailey, who is one of the, I think he's the first vice president, but he's only been there 20 minutes, so to okay. speak. Well, hell, he, I get beat, okay. Hubert Copps was a trustee, and he's fixing to retire, but he has another year on his trustees deal. So he resigns and I run for trustee. Okay. So now I'm the trustee. At the end of two years I run against Bailey and, and I beat him so now I'm president. And then at the end of two he runs against me. I beat him again. I was president six years and then Brian Tillery runs against me. And I said, Brian, he's third vice president. I said, Brian, what's the deal? He said, well, you don't ever tell me what's going on. I said, I got three vice presidents, secretary, treasurer, three trustees. I don't have time to tell everybody. We discussed it at the board meeting, mm -hmm. and we just talked about it at the meeting. So he beat me. I said, okay, no big deal. So the next year, I run for secretary, treasurer, because we put them back together. Yeah. So I get elected secretary, treasurer. <laughs> <laughs> and then Reuben Millsap runs against me, and that's, that's fine with me. Ray Reed runs for president. Ray had run against me for six, uh, for one of the, one job, and I had well actually for president, and I beat him. And at that time, the president had two appointed positions, so I knew Ray was a comer, so I appointed him to one of those oh, positions gotcha. yeah. to keep him involved. You know, we did that manpower study out there on Laurelland mm -hmm. where we burned the building and we sent them in and out and all that sort of right. stuff. I get a call from Yellowknife. 
Yellow Knife, Canada. Yeah. That's a real place, huh? Yeah. Like Gun Barrel City? Yeah, and, <laughs> and they wanted, they were in negotiations on, and in staffing, and they wanted somebody to come up there and discuss this manpower study we did. Mm -hmm. And I said, I got just the man for you, because Ray had been involved in that. So I, I called him, I, <laughs> I called him, I said, I got a guy's name and number here you need to call. I got you a trip to Yellowknife, Canada, lined up. <laughs> he went up there twice. Really? And they, and they won their staffing deal on, based on what information that we were able to provide. So, anyway. What did that bring to the fire department? What did that study and all that, how did that help the fire department? Well, it really told them, you know, you, you, the, you need more people. The more mm -hmm. people you got, the more you can get in there, the better you can do. Mm -hmm. But so is that when constant staffing came well, around? Was that later? They, they were they, it didn't happen then. We, they, we were trying to figure out what to do. Okay. Now, when I was president, we had a, an election for four rounds, and uh, they they had a police review board. They wanted a, a group, wanted a police review board, so they said, well, we'll see if the citizens want to have it. So it was on the ballot, and I said minimum staffing. And so the lawyer, I talked to a lawyer, and he said they can say it, you know, they can say it any way they want it, and mm -hmm. they did. And then the, the city was out, the powers to be, not officially vote no right. on the police review board. People voted no against us. We, okay. we spent a bunch of money, but we lost. Were you? Do we have the task force when you were here? We did, didn't we? Yeah, uh, that was what late eighties. Yeah, yeah, late. 80s. I got on in eighty three. We, we we said it won't work. It will not work. And uh, Charles Terrell had, was uh, Mayor Strauss's campaign money guy. Mm -hmm. And I had met him at another deal. He was a big insurance guy. I called him and I said, I, I need a meeting with the mayor. And he said, well, what's it about? I said, this task force that they're going to put in, it's terrible. He said, I'll see what I can do. So he calls me. And he said, I got a meeting set up at my office, 10 o'clock, whatever. So I took KD with me, and we went down there. Richard Knight, city manager, he was there. Chief Miller was there. Chief Freeman was there. And the, it was Chief Freeman's baby. He was, was it the task force? Was that not Chief Freeman's no, baby? No, it was Richard Knight's deal. Okay. Freeman was had to do it. Okay. Uh, and George Schrader, who was, in my opinion, the last real city manager the city oh, really? of Dallas has had. Hmm. Got this many engines, this many trucks, this many manpower squads. Now, where are you going to? So many task force, so many light force. And he wrote all that stuff on the board, and he looked at it, and he turned around and said, Chief, that won't work. <laughs> so the task force already been implemented, or was this after the fact? No, it, it was going in. Going in, okay. And he said, it won't work. And we were telling him it won't work, you know. And, and just because, why would why was it that simple? What it, could he see just by writing it up there? I don't know, but he said that won't work. So we we go to a, uh, I go to a public safety committee, whatever it's called. Their their council people are questioning Freeman, and they said uh, Barto said, Chief, is is this good? Well, let's work. And he said, we, we, we think it will. And Richard Knight said, Chief Freeman, it will work on it. 
<laughs> he said, yes, sir, it will work. Oh, anyway, so they put it in. Yeah, they did. So they put it in in September or October, whatever they put it in. Right. So March, Chief Hickey, who is the, he's the financial guy with the fire department. Mm-hmm. He called me and he said, I need a meeting with you. I said, okay. And uh, so we set it up on the B shift at 11. Tommy Taylor was captain. It was Tommy, Ennis Hill, and myself, and Chief Hickey. We go up to the captain's room, you know. And, and what I call it, the hay bub stuff. Right. You know? How are you? What's going on? Da, 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 da. And I said, Chief, what's this all about? He said, well, we're taking the task force out April 1. I knew it didn't last long. Now, they spent a million dollars redoing the dispatch. Mm -hmm. They bought, I think, 10 new engines. At that time, we we didn't have a piece of equipment over five years old, our reserves and everything. Mm -hmm. We were top-notch. He said, they're taking it out. We're taking it out April 1, and they, whoever they is, Mm -hmm. they're famous, they want to know what it will take. Did y'all won't put a full page ad in the Dallas Morning News saying, ha, 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 we told you so. <laughs> to the city council? To the fire department? To who's getting ha, ha, ha? Oh, we're going to put, he said, did you won't put a full page ad in the Dallas okay. Morning News? Saying y'all told them. Yeah, we told you, ha, ha, ha. Gotcha. We told you it wouldn't work. And Tommy and Ennis and I looked at each other, you know, we said, high around, right, high back, right, full around, we won't say a word. He said, it's a done deal. If the right people want it to happen, it just happens, right? Yeah. Man. So it's happened ever since. And just put millions of dollars in the guy's pockets. Yeah. And higher back. You know, and it's, it's great. I mean, it's, <laughs> there's sometimes you need more than four. I mean, you need. Yeah, you need eight and twelve and <laughs> yeah, just to get but, started. But we had spent about a hundred thousand dollars on that election trying to get it and right. lost. I said we we lost that battle, but later we won the right. war. You know, yeah. I guess that was the the high point of my of my my administration. That was the best thing that happened. Mm-hmm. You know, they set up that career ladder pass where they put all these steps in and all mm-hmm. this, and Mary Slim took it out. Well, when they started that, they were going to create a, a senior corporal in the, fire, in the police department, and they had all this, all these steps and stuff. J.K. Ramsey was the uh, DPA president, and every time they'd make a move over there, Ramsey would call me. Yeah. And we'd go to these public safety committee meetings, and Chappelle, Captain Chappelle, was the money man for the police department. Okay. And they started out, they were going to make 800-something senior corporals, and they ended up making 1,500, I think. And, and I, I was telling them, hey, y'all, we, this is going to happen, and we need, the fire department needs to get something together to try to, oh, we're not going to get that, you know, and all that stuff. Things would happen, and... Chappelle said, I don't know where, probably, they know everything we're doing. <laughs> Go check it. So, I guess it was 88. They opened 28 fire station. It took 18 truck personnel and opened 28. Okay. We had to, we had to lose 109 people, but we they only laid off one person. They did it through attrition mm-hmm. and this sort of stuff. 
we're up at 28 fire station with no no new no additional personnel and the step system so uh, again mr bartos I, I went and talked to his assistant at the council meeting i said i really need to talk to him and so and we'd not supported this guy he, he'd been on the school board not somebody didn't like it but anyway the guy came out and did like that and i, I walked back this was at the council meeting mm -hmm. and he said he'll see you at the break and so at the break i went back there and i said i've got to meet with the mayor i have to meet with the mayor can you get me a meeting with the mayor he said i'll do my best you know she runs herself so he says he he does give us a meeting at nine o'clock on Tuesday or whenever right. it was. So Katie and I go down there. Well, she comes blowing in about thirty minutes late. She says, "Don, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'll be with you in a minute." So she goes on in her office, and so she they call me in there, and she said, "Well, I have Richard here. That's the city manager." Mm -hmm. And I said, "Well, I have KD with me. I didn't go anywhere by myself. Yeah, you know, I won't witness." She said, Don, what is this all about? And I said, well, it, it, it's about opening 28 fire stations without any additional personnel. It's about we're having to lose all these people and the step system. He, she said, well, the city manager told us, if, you know, told the fire department, if you can fund it, you can have it. I said, now, if I can fund this step system and I'm opening the station without any new personnel, right. I'm having to lay off 109 people, but if I can afford to fund this right. additional cost, I can do it. I said, here's, here's the deal, Mayor. Chief Rathburn is the police chief, and you have told him we're going to hire 150 new officers. It's $5 million. And he says, I can't hire any more people. My classes are full the whole year. Mm -hmm. They're already in line. I can't hide it. Yeah. So you give him a sack with $5 million and say, if you can fund this step system, you can have it. And you give Chief Miller an empty sack and say, <laughs> if you can fund this, you can have it. And she looked at me and said, Don, if that's the truth, you're going to get the step system. I said, when I leave, I'm on the phone. I'm putting it out because that's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> but till I, before I got to that, Richard Knight said, what's this about? I said, that. he said, that's a, those are settled. And she said, Richard, this is my meeting. <laughs> <laughs> and she showed me her book, and she had all these stars about it. She said, you know, the fire station, that's a done deal. But the step system... If that's, if that's what's happening, you get the step system. Yeah. That was probably the week prior to the council meeting okay. that they voted it in. Because on Monday, I was at 70 South, and uh, Chief Freeman said, what are you doing up here? I, I said, well, I stopped in to visit. I'm out here working, trying to get that step system. He said, we're not getting that step system. That's Monday, Wednesday, they voted it in. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a pretty good politician. Are you really? Yeah, you know, we, we endorsed uh, Myers, Fred Myers for mayor, and that's Strauss one. Mm -hmm. and she was, she'd been a council member, and 
had always supported us. So she has a fundraiser at Anatole, thousand dollars a ticket. Well, the union bought two. We, Ken Bailey and I went down there, mm-hmm. <laughs> and she said, "She's standing over, and I walk over. You know how you doing, Mary?" She said, "Don, I cannot believe that the firefighters did not support me." I said, "Madam Mayor." She said, I voted every time for you. I said, Madam Mayor, we knew what we were doing. And she said, what? I said, we knew what we were doing. She said, well, I, I don't understand. I said, we have endorsed five straight losers in the mayor's race, and we knew if we endorsed Mr. Myers, he would win. I mean, it's just, a, <laughs> and that was the truth. Uh-huh. You know, we didn't have dues check off, and we had the votes on the council, but Eric Johnson wouldn't let it happen. He was the mayor. Mm-hmm. He controls the agenda. I had the guy's name. He was Pleasant Grove Council. And he was trying to get it on the agenda. And he called Kenneth Dodd and he said, Kenneth, y'all got $49,000 I can have? <laughs> he said, no, but what are you talking about? He said, well, the mayor told me I have a I have a loan at the bank down there for 50 grand. I now owe 49000 on it. And the mayor, who's on the board of the bank, told me if I even mentioned dues checkoff again, it, I needed to read that note that said do it payable on demand, and it would be demanded. Wow. <laughs> wow. There's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. He said, I can't bring it up again. Yeah. So anyway, Wes Wise was elected mayor, and I don't remember who we endorsed. I think Avery Mays, but I'm not sure who was a big contractor. And, and West won. Pack up a little bit here. They said, we we can't give you dues checkoff. It's against the state law. So we go down and get the law changed if they can. Mm-hmm. So West Wise gets elected mayor. They opened the first meeting, and he said, the first thing on the agenda is dues checkoff for police and fire. He said, you told them that you would do it, but you can't do it because of state law. So they go down to get the state law changed, and now you won't do it anyway. So we're going to vote on it today. And we had to vote, Mm -hmm. and they put it in. Really? A guy we did not endorse. It's a funny game, I tell you. Do you you enjoy the, I guess you do, uh, enjoy the politicking? Politics. Yeah, I I, I love it. When... uh, Al Whitehead ran for Secretary of Treasury of the Union, international, and he's from California. Well, we supported him, and we and he got elected. Jack Gannon is the president, and so Al stays in that office a couple of times, and so he's running for president. There are 11 guys running for Secretary of Treasury. Okay. Ten guys. Nine of the vice presidents are running, and then one other person is running. And so who do, who do we support? We know who we support for president. Who do we support for Secretary of Treasury? So they're having a big at NC for has to do with retired public employees meeting in Cincinnati. And so I fly up there to talk to Whitehead. Who do you want? So they're in a meeting up there. I'm down here in the lobby. He's coming down the escalator. What the hell are you doing here? I, I said, I'm here to find out some information. Step over here. He said, I said, who do you want for Secretary of Treasury? He said, I can't tell you. 
What do you mean you can't tell me? He said, well, if I tell you who I want, all the rest of them will turn against me. Right now, they're sort of neutral. Mm -hmm. But they'll turn against me because I didn't want them. I said, I'm better than that. Who do you want? He said, I'd like to have Boland. So Boland's the outsider. He's a lieutenant on the New York Fire Department. But he's been on our pension board, and he's, you know, he knows all this stuff. I said, okay. So I called Buddy Moss, who's our international vice president. I said, who y'all vote for Secretary of Treasury, San Antonio? But he can't win. You know, there'll be a runoff, and everyone making decisions. I said, typical San Antonio, y'all play that game, and you ain't never won, <laughs> ever. You play the game, and you've never won. So he said, what y'all going to do? I said, well, I, I'm thinking about bowling. You know, I really like it, his deal. He'd rock longer and I'd call Buddy. Y'all made a decision yet? No, he didn't. So they all, we invite them all down to give their speech for the 11th district, that's Texas and Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Y'all all come down here and talk to us in Laredo. <laughs> so they all come to Laredo. <laughs> to Laredo. <laughs> so they all get up and give her speech. But I, I told I told Buddy, I said, Buddy, they're all going to come down there and talk, and then they're going to leave, and we're going to make a decision on the left. I said, listen to what's being said, listen to what they're saying. I know some of those vice presidents are real good buddies, but you would just listen. I said, if you can see your way clear after they all leave and you take over, well, our international vice president, but then you'll be next. Remember, he is an international vice president. If you can see clear to say, well, I know all these people, and I really believe Bolin is the most qualified guy, I said, it won't be out of your mouth till I stand up and say, hey, he's our, he's our vice president. He knows Dallas is going with Buddy. Uh. <laughs> well, he went with Buddy. We endorse supporting bowling. We're at the convention in Miami. There's a guy named Terry, that's his last name, can't think of first name. He's president of California, retired firefighters, but he's been active in his local. He comes up to me and he said, We want you to second Whitehead's nomination. I said, What? <laughs> he said, We want you to second Whitehead's nomination. I said, Hell, I don't know what to say. He said, You'll know what to say. <laughs> I'll tell you what to say. But Houston is going to endorse uh, second the nomination of the incumbent, Jack Gannon. So we want to have a power base in the middle of the country. Oh, okay. Dallas is here. It's all about the power base. Yeah. So I, I make the endorsement. I mean, the second the nomination. So we have the election. Whitehead wins and Bowling wins. And Mickey Mullaney is a third district international vice president, and he is a mess, believe me. So they announce the winners, and then we take a break. So we're all out here in the, outside the meeting room, and Mullaney comes at a dead run to me and slides down and grabs my right hand and kisses my <laughs> What in the hell is going on? He said, I'm kissing the hand of the kingmaker. <laughs> so huh. we we take Whitehead and Bowling the next year 
two years later, it's in St. Louis, the international restaurant. And we take them to a high-dollar Italian restaurant. Mm -hmm. So we're all standing out, the Dallas group standing outside out there. And they drive up. Vinny's, I don't know whether he's divorced or widowed or what, but anyway, they get out of the limousine and he, he's got this lady with him and he said, Don, I want, I want to introduce you to my friend, my lady friend. And so he's, and he says, this is Don Howard. He's the president of Dallas. He's my campaign manager. He was my campaign manager. <laughs> huh. I tell you, I enjoyed the hell out of it. But Marty Holland was running for Secretary Treasurer. He's president of Chicago. Got a law degree and a CPA certificate. Got a big boat out at the end of the pier. Oh, really? His campaign angle. Hmm. I said, Marty, I have one question for you. Are, are you going to take this office and just do that job, or, or do you want that job to run against my man for president? He said, well, that's my goal. I said, well, I can't support you. Why would I why would I support somebody yeah. who's going to try to get guys up? But that, that politics. <laughs> We're at this restaurant. Ennis and I got on jeans. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> and the guy comes out and he says, "You two guys can't come in." <laughs> why? We got on jeans. And Richard Walksman said, "This is not the only damn restaurant in St. Louis. We'll just go somewhere else." Right. And we got, I think there's nine of us, mm -hmm. and then the president international secretary treasurer right. chief of staff he said you two guys get in the middle as you go in <laughs> gotta hide you and, and and sit with your back to the wall and please don't go to the restaurant <laughs> <laughs> everybody well, they were real strict on the uh, restaurant. evidently they were plenty darn strict oh man so you were an investigator your whole career at dallas no i i went the inspection and then Plan okay. B retired nearly all the investigators. They were all captains. Okay. They gave a lieutenant's test. Roy Sponsor was number one and Melton and I wrote second highest grade, but we were, had seniority back then. Right. So seniority moved us down. Okay. So I made lieutenant right toward the end of the first month. They said we had a meeting with all the who wants to go to investigation. Well, two or three volunteered. I said, I said, what about you? I said, wherever y'all want me. If you want me over here, fine. If you want me over there. I'm a company man. Wherever you think I best fit in. And so they sent me. To, and so I went to investigation in, in June of 73. And so they gave, we were drawing acting pay. Okay. Being paid as captains. Mm -hmm. Paperwork nightmare. Really? So as soon as Bonsall got 18 months as a lieutenant, that's what it took to take the captain's test. They waived everybody else's time. Oh, really? And gave a test. And so there were, there were 11 lieutenants and there were nine of me. Not right now, but you could see that mm -hmm. there would be nine. And we're just taking the lieutenant's test 18 months before you. Yeah. I said, hey, I'm just naturally smarter than two of those guys. <laughs> I didn't study very much, but our test was at one. And Bob Melton and Dick Langdon and I went into the polygraph observation room at 8 o'clock and we started talking about what's a, what 
we'd studied and all this mm -hmm. sort of stuff. And they, th they start talking about this book by Brown. I said, Brown? They said, yeah, they, I said, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I said, well, tell me what he said. So they told me, you know, they talked about it. And yeah. there were three questions on that test. Really? <laughs> <laughs> well, I beat Langer and the tide melting again. Yeah. So Melton beat me by four thousandths of a point on a lieutenant. That was the seniority. He came in July, I came in December. Mm -hmm. Four thousandths of a point. So we take the captain's test and he beats me by more than four thousandths of a point. And we write the same. So Bill Lute is, is the section chief, one of them in investigation. And Melton and Lute are married to sisters. So I said, Chief, I'm going to talk to you. And he said, okay. Chief who? Chief Lute. Okay. I said, I said, how come you give brother-in-law better efficiency than you did me? He said, I did. And I said, yes, you did. And I did not. I said, hey, <laughs> Lieutenant, he beat me by 4,000 points. We wrote the same grade. Captain, we wrote the same grade, but he beat me by more than 4,000 points. That's to be efficient. He said, well, his wife called my wife and told her, you tell your husband if he doesn't take care of his brother-in-law, it's not going to be a happy wife. Huh. I said, I knew you had a good reason. I just <laughs> right didn't know why. Right. I, I'm not upset. I'm <laughs> over. I just wondered what it was. <laughs> so grades are, grades can be fudged a little bit, I guess. Yeah, they or, could. What do you like best about? So I went to investigate. I stayed there 34 years as, as an investigator out of 40. Right. Did you get a kick out of that? Were you pretty much on, was that shift work back in? Was it 24 on? No, we, we worked days. Okay. Straight days. Jerry Lambert became the fire marshal. You would be, you would, you would be the night guy, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Mm -hmm. And so if you needed anything, you answered from home. Okay. And then it rotated. And then on the, on the weekend, you went in on Saturday and Sunday at, at 8 o'clock. So it rotated. Jerry Lambert was a fire marshal, and there was there was at the time a state law that said if you're required to stay in touch by radio, telephone, pager, and everything, you got to pay him. Right. So he said, and we had told him about the state law. There were several things in it. The acting pay was mm -hmm. part of it. Anyway, he said we're going to start staffing 24 hours. So Whitlow Baker and W. A. Richardson volunteered. And the 984 was Whitlow's call up. That was his. Well, I was 990 when I first went over there. Okay. So that, that's how we got to be 984. Okay. And then uh, Baker Baker went to dispatch to create a captain's opening in Fiverr so they could promote somebody, a lady. Somebody that they wanted? Yeah, somebody that they wanted. Okay. And so I. That's I more politicking. Yeah, I volunteered. <laughs> And so I, I did that. And we worked all kind of, we worked all sorts of hours and stuff. But we on, we only doubled on uh, Wednesday and Thursday. The rest of the time you were by yourself. Okay. Well, Why Wednesday and Thursday are just the... Well, you had to have three people and, and you had, you, you worked uh, how, how it worked, but it, you ended up doubling. Well, Somebody took off, Nelly. Every every you. time you doubled, you know people took off. Right. Yeah, you know, vacation or just wanted off. 
So you work by yourself most of the time, which I didn't see any problem with. As time went on and we got other people down there, and they, I think some of them were scared of their shadow, you know, they, they, they wouldn't go to West Dallas. Back, back when we worked, when you're from home, mm -hmm. they wouldn't go to West Dallas on the weekend. They'd have everything work except that. And Monday yeah. morning, got everything West Dallas or South Dallas, huh. you know. So they started doubling up, you know. Yeah. And we always rode together the two nights we were worked together. We rode together. Mm -hmm. Now, were y'all always, uh, I don't know what you classify that as, but were you always carrying a weapon? Yeah. Okay, so you Yeah, I went to Dallas Police Academy in 1974. That was an interesting deal. No. <laughs> you have a year to go. You get a city warrant for a year, but then you got to do something else. Oh, yes. So we were just bumping. Melton and I were bumping right up against. Mm -hmm. They'd sent W.J. Richardson went over at the same time we did, but they'd sent him to police school. He went to Sheriff's Academy. So uh, Thomas, chief investigator, he calls the police department, and, and Bowles was in charge of that. He ended up being uh, Sure. So we go out there, and I can't remember that sergeant's name. He said, he said, have you made any arrests? We said, yeah. He said, you get in trouble? No. He said, yes, you need, you know all you need to know. He said, we'll send you, we'll, we'll do some of this stuff in the days mm -hmm. and some of it at night with the reserves. They take the same deal. So we went sometime in the daytime, maybe two hours, three hours, and then we go do the fires we were assigned, and then at night, you know, we would go. And Lewis Elks was going, too, because mm -hmm. he was going, he knew he would be coming down there. Mm -hmm. So say I was the 984 call guy, uh -huh. and we'd say, if this pager goes off, all three of us have to leave. No. <laughs> <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this, but there was a guy studying for a sergeant, and we had all the study material. I had boxes of Prebo 5 cards and all this stuff. Yeah. I started gathering up. I gathered up Tom Walker's study material, who was, ended up being a deputy chief. Jerry Benningfields, who was, and I had all this study material. So we gave him all this. The management questions are the same, please. Yeah. He came in number two on the sergeant's oh, really? test. So we go over and take our final, take our test to graduate. He puts three matchsticks between his fingers and draw a matchstick. <laughs> the longest one gets 99, 98, 97. He had, he had the test all filled out, all we did was put her name on. Right. Well, they got in trouble. Okay. So the next guys were too close. So the next guys had to do the whole school, the physical. Oh, yeah. You've ruined it. You've ruined it forever. It seemed like I just got to. <laughs> I was always right at the right place at the right time. All right, just you, one step ahead. You know, the day I came to work, December 1, they said, well, well how long are you going to work? I said, hell, I guess till I'm 70. Everybody in my family works forever. Yeah. So I retired on March the 7th. August the 7th, I turned 70. Five months. Yeah. I never even thought about it. So Bob Melton had been the fire marshal, and... He came to my retirement party, and he said, well, Don almost made it. He said, the first day of work, he said, you'll work till 70. Yeah. So when I made my speech, you know, I got up there and did all this stuff, and I said, you know, I, I didn't even think about, you know, being 70 in five months. I said, hell, I could have hid for five months. I hid for 40 years. <laughs> right. But Tuma 
And the chief investigator, he said, when are you going to take a chief's test? I said, only council lasts five years, and I'm a long way from five years. Look what you do, and look what I do. I come here in the morning, civilian clothes, unmarked car, you give me a job, you give me my fire, so I go do it. Yeah. You sit here in this office all day long. I, I'm not into that. <laughs> I took, I took the first assessment center. Around what, 2000 or something? No, it's before that, I think. Okay. Anyway, Chief Perry was a deputy. I mean, uh, he was assistant chief. He was on. He's one of the assessors. Okay. And the fire marshal from University Park and the fire marshal from Irving. A big shot was the water department, somebody else. It was two days. And they gave us all these all these projects, you know, and green basket and all mm-hmm. this stuff. So after the after it was over, I came in number three or number two and I thought I was gonna make it. I was terrified. <laughs> <laughs> so after you could go over and check your strong points or weak points. Okay. So I go over and a guy named Goldfarb in civil service. He said, "Do you ever take anything serious?" I said, "What are you talking about?" He said, "You clowned around here. <laughs> you know, it was just a joke to you." I said, "I didn't want the job." Yeah. He said, "Well, why were you over here taking the test? You didn't want the job." I said, "I looked at that list, and all the captains in the office had signed up for the test." If if I had to sign up, I was going to have to do all the work for two days, and I am damn sure smarter than that. <laughs> I got my reasons. Yeah. I got my reasons. Right, something keeps coming to me I want to tell you, not, but I can't think of it right now. I'll have to interrupt one okay, story. Okay, that's fine. But that's I can't okay. think what it is. Another. What part of Garland did you, do you live in? I live in South Garland, right off Northwest Highway in Saturn Road. Okay. I moved there in December 1 of 75. We moved down here. We got an apartment in seventy, in sixty, whatever it was, mm-hmm. four, five, sixty-five again. And and while we were there, my wife got pregnant. So I was working phone company. I was driving around. I found this house had a for sale sign. We were sort of looking about buying. It's in North Garland. So. We went over and looked at it and decided to buy it. We got in, got in the car and we lived this way and I went that way. And Barbara said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Sherman. She said, what part? I said, I need to talk to Papa. <laughs> so we got up there, you know, and how y'all doing and all this stuff. And I said, Papa, I'm fixing to buy a house. I said, if I get in trouble, will you help me? He said, well, Bubba wouldn't let you lose your home. I said, that's all I want to know. <laughs> and I, I never needed to call him. Uh, I wanted that deal. And it, everything was in South Garland. We lived in North Garland. And so we moved to South Garland. You know, I, I was an inspector. I inspected Love Field was one of my deals. Mm-hmm. And the guy, Frank West, who was... Uh, probably third tier management, but he was in charge of safety and all that sort of stuff. He called me. He said, "Don, Jeff Wojcinski, who had been a Richardson, the first paid fireman they hired in Richardson, was their safety engineer, safety director." And he said, "Jeff's retiring. I want to hire you, to take that job." I said, "Well, what about his assistant?" He said, "We don't want him. We want you." 
And I said, well, I'll think about it. Well, I was fixing to make captain. I, it was the year gasoline went up, whenever that was. In the late 70s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. whenever it was. And you'd stand in line for gas if you had the yeah. right license plate? Yeah, yeah. yeah, and so, and I was fixing to make captain. I said, you know, I, I like what I'm doing. I, and I told him, I said, no, I'm not an inspector anymore. I'm an investigator. I said, I really like what I'm doing. And I'm fixing to make a promotion, so I... I'm just going to not take the job. And they're bankrupt in five years. <laughs> Good call. Yeah. I was inspecting Dallas Aeromotive. After the major airlines went to DFW, Dallas Aeromotive was the biggest thing on Love Field at the time. And they were right there on Lemon, close to the Flight Museum and all that stuff. I was inspecting, and I, I said, you're not bonding and grounding these airplanes when you're drilling. He said, the FAA doesn't require that. I said, the Dallas Fire Code requires it. He said, well, I don't know what the Dallas Fire Code has to do with it. I said, if you don't know this, we own this whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> and the Dallas Fire Code is, in, cha is in charge. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know whether he knew we owned it or not, but yeah. anyway. Were you always good with books? I mean, because to have that kind of job, an investigator's you know, to do it well, you've got to codes and this and that and exemptions. Well, I mean, I, I'm not the sharpest stack in the box, but I'm not the dullest either. You're really good with names yeah. because you've named off a ton of people since we've been talking and I just, uh, I'm wondering, we, we always good with names or? Well, yeah, people, I'm trying to think of the guy, Hager Slacks, he had an unusual name. Captain Gully was my captain and he, and he said, I, I want you on Love Field at least one day a week. Yep. It had not been inspected. So I inspect Delta Airlines hangar, and it's not sprinkled. So I go back and I said, Delta hangar's not sprinkled. He said, it has to be. I said, it's not. <laughs> so they did some research, you know, the big boys down there in the office. Mm -hmm. And Delta Airlines told the city of Dallas, where we will not build this hangar if we have to sprinkle it. So the city council waived the requirement. Okay. And there you go. <laughs> Just need the right waiver. The right person has yeah. to say that, you yeah. know, the right <laughs> group of people. I'm standing on the corner of Lemon and Oak Lawn to come back downtown. Yeah. Pardon me. And they got this guy. In, he's actually standing, but they got this little box. Mm -hmm. And he checks the buses whether they're on time or not. Okay. Oh, okay. So I walk up there, and I don't know north from south, east from west. And uh, <laughs> that, uh, I said, which one of these buses go downtown? He said, they all go downtown. <laughs> so I go over there, they get on the bus, <laughs> and it goes to Preston Center. <laughs> but eventually it will get it to downtown. It did go downtown. <laughs> <laughs> Not directly. <laughs> when you start a job, I guess as a young man, young person, um, you know, you don't know how... You're going to like it, you're going to love it, or is it, you know, you're going to be great going in. But since I've retired, I guess I realize I loved it even more. I still do. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the way I'm about this organization. Okay. I love this Dallas Firefighter Association. Yeah. Oh, go back. We were 617 when, when we were formed. We, were, we originally formed, we were local 58 of the AF of L, when the international was started mm -hmm. February 
1918, I believe. And we went into the International as Local 58. The city of Dallas said, if you don't give up your union, you're going to be fired. And they didn't give it up, and they all got fired. When was this? 1920, I guess. Oh, really? About that. And they appealed, and they lost the appeal. So what do you do when you fire the whole fire department? Well, they all didn't. Some of them gave it okay. up. Some of them I stayed. Some of so them individually you had a choice? Yeah, most of them, most of them left. Okay. And they had volunteers came in, you know, until they got it going. So in 30, I think it's 36, they reorganized. So the next number on the international deal is 617. So okay. that's we became 617. Chief Penn was the secretary treasurer. So they said, if you don't give it up, you're going to, you're going to get fired. And about a thousand people demonstrated downtown from the fire department. They brought a guy in from the National Labor Council who tried to do it. Anyway, they gave it up. So I'm at a meeting, I mean the convention, international convention, and some local is requesting that their original number be restored. And I don't remember the reason that it, they left. I think they all got fired. So the international gave them back that number. I said, you know, Dallas is a pretty good-sized city. I can't imagine that, you know, that they never did do anything until 1956 to be a union. Mm -hmm. So I started doing a little research. And Mike Higgins was the legislative agent for, remind me about residency. Residency. Okay. Higgins was a legislative guy from uh, for the State Firefighters Association. So he did some research and he found the lawsuit where these guys got fired where they sued to get their jobs back in 1920 or whenever it was. We did have a copy of it here. And so then we found the deal in 36. I said, we need to get that 58 back. So we petitioned the International to get the 58 back with, we furnished information about them all getting fired and all that sort of stuff. So, mm -hmm. they, so they restored our original number. Okay. And to me, that makes a big deal, you know, because... It, does it sound better or is, there, is it... Uh, well, that like, means you've been around. Been right? around, okay. Yeah, been around. Versus 617 and yes. 58. Yeah. Okay. In other words, it, we, we went from... and oh. So when Beverly and Gillum sued in 56 to organize, they won, the city appealed to Fifth Circuit, Fifth Circuit upheld it, city appealed to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court sent it back to the Fifth, and the Fifth kept. So we're really here by order of the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. But PNC was the Secretary of Treasury in 36. Mm -hmm. So he knew, so when they reorganized in, in uh, 56, they, they gave them that number, not a new In 56, the numbers were about 1,200. Okay. Garland and Mesquite and all these. Because mm -hmm. when we when we organized it, they did. I got you. That helped. And then he was the president. I mean, he was the fire chief when they got organized. And Ernest Emerson was elected president. He was first elected president. He was an investigator. And, and Penn pretty well gave him a free hand, like K.D. Searcy and Perry Porter. Doc Briscoe opened a campaign headquarters on Commerce Street. Mm -hmm. And Ernest Emerson sent Perry Porter and, and uh, K.D. 
they were on duty down there to paint the office to get it ready. Oh, really? <laughs> residency. We passed a residency bill back when Mark White was the president, governor, the governor. Mm -hmm. And Don O'Dell was the legislative director for the state. And he and Mark were big buddies. O'Dell got the residency bill passed and White vetoed it. Okay. So what, what does the residency bill mean? It means they, they can't require you to live in the city. Okay. So we passed it. it, it see, I, I, I'm, I was the first open Republican firefighter in the state of Texas, I guess. Really? <laughs> and so Bill Clements was the governor. And I said, Higgins, if you can get that residency bill on Governor Clements' desk, it will become law. Oh, yeah. I said, I'm telling you. Get it there, you call me. Well, they got it passed. It goes to the governor. The governor's got three choices. He can sign it, veto it, let it lay on his desk for 10 days, and it becomes law. So he called me. He said, it's on, it's on the, his desk. We had endorsed Fred Myers against Strauss for mayor. He was the chairman of the Texas Republican Party. And we had asked him when we interviewed him, what he felt about residency, you know, being required to live in the city. He said, this is America, you live where you want to. <laughs> so I picked up the phone and I called, he worked, he's a big shot with Tyler Industries, whatever that is, and, I, and, and they said he's in a board meeting. And I said, well, I'm Don Howard, firefighters, would you ask him to call me at his convenience? They wasn't 10 minutes he called me, you know. Don, how you doing, all this sort of stuff. I said, Mr. Meyer, when we interviewed you, we asked you about residency. You said it was America, you live where you want to. You still feel that way? He said, certainly. I said, well, we put a bill on, Texas firefighters put a bill on Governor Clemens' desk that said we can live with a one-hour response time. They called me, I got to be at my fire station within an hour. Okay. I believe that if the governor, who is a good Republican, knew that the chairman of the Texas Republican Party thought that was a good deal, he'd probably let it go. He said, when I hang up from you, I will call it. And he let it lay on the desk and it became law. Okay. So is it still an hour, supposed to be an hour? Yeah, an hour response. That's politics. Right. I love you. I guess it's necessary, but I just, I don't know. Issues change. Right. And people change, but the process doesn't change. Right. You know, it just doesn't. It's been the same forever. Do you mind me asking why you? Yeah, you can up? ask anything you want to ask. Why did you and your older sister in, live with your grandparents? All right, my daddy was a. He and my grandfather worked for, Fresco Railroad. They were machinists. My daddy wanted to go. To Virginia, they, I mean. Uh, they had a big shipyard there, okay. and they were they were building ships for the war. They knew they were going mm -hmm. to be in the war, Charleston, South Carolina. So he went over there and worked there a short time. And my mother, my grandparents lived here, and they had a garage apartment in the back. And my mm -hmm. mother and dad and my sister and I lived up there. Okay. So my daddy joined the navy. He came back and joined the navy after December seventh. Went to Great Lakes, I think it is, got his basic, went to Corpus Christi. So my mother goes down there to get an apartment to bring us down there, you know. 
and in fact went to work. You know, everybody's going to work. Yeah. We're at war. So they come to get my sister and I, and my grandmother, who was somewhat of a matriarch. Okay. Somewhat? <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> she said, why don't you just leave these kids here with me? You're working. You have to have a babysitter. Okay. And this sort of stuff, you know. And when when it's all over, you come and get them. How old were you? I then? was born in. My sister was born in '36. I was born in '37, and this was '42. So. Okay. So you're young. Uh, yeah, we're yeah. little. And so we we were there. The war's over. They both go to work at uh, Corpus Christi Naval Air Station. They moved to Corpus Christi. My daddy broke his neck in the Navy and was real nervous. My mother's youngest brother was a neurosurgeon and he got all his medical records and he said they, they really didn't do what they should have done. Oh, really? Yeah. He said 90% of brain surgery really deals with the spine. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they got a place, you know. And came to get us, and my grandmother says, "Oh, if you take these kids from me, I'll just die." You oh, know, really? and so they said, "Okay," and it was probably a good deal because my daddy turned into an alcoholic because of his condition. Yeah, was he but, in pain a lot? You reckon? Pardon me. Was he in pain? Yeah, and just the doctor told him you can't work anymore. My oldest sister, fourteen months older than me, and my other sister, fourteen years younger than me. Fourteen years. Okay. Yeah, and uh, she's passed. She had. She was an orthopedic surgeon's assistant. She had an aneurysm. My mother had an aneurysm and survived, and my sister had one and and didn't survive. Really? When my mother had hers up in Pueblo, Colorado, her brother flew up there, the neurosurgeon, and he goes in and talks to the doctor. You know, my oldest sister. Well, we're both there. Both sisters and I are there at the hospital. One from Florida. One from Alaska me from Texas, and he comes out from conversation with the doctor. He said, everything's going to be fine. He said, he's doing what I would do. And he went to the Mecca of neurosurgery. Oh, really? And I said, the Mecca of neurosurgery? What is that? He said, Cleveland Clinic. I said, well, why is that the Mecca? He said, because I went there. <laughs> he graduated from the university. I mean, graduated with a medical degree at 22. Really? Yeah. Wow. He was the baby of a whole house full of kids, mm-hmm. and he's my mother next to him. And when she went to school, he went with her. Oh, really? Just, just cause, huh? <laughs> Their oldest, their oldest sister was teaching. Oh, okay, man, there you got. Well, uh, she didn't. Then, yeah. She didn't have. She didn't have a college degree, but you know, she was smart. And yeah. during the during the time, she. Oh, really neat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can teach. You don't really need the degree, huh? Well, you're probably better off. My baby sister, I mean, my oldest sister, she lost her husband about a year ago. In the 20th, that would have been their anniversary. I said, you, you're not the only woman who ever lost her husband. I lost a wife. Yeah. That part of your life is over. The 20th of December is not your anniversary. You don't have anniversaries anymore. Yeah. you gotta, you got to just make that date another day because if you... Keep thinking of it as your anniversary. It will bother you mm-hmm. every year. You'll be bothered up coming to it and yeah. to it and shortly yeah. thereafter. I said, you're, I, you're smarter than that. Even if you do realize that, it's probably hard to put in practice. Yeah, it is. It's very difficult. I mean, I my wife was ill for 
basically 10 years, not real serious till the end. She passed away. I, I started, I started, I mean, I, it was such a relief. Mm -hmm. I was still working, trying to take care of her as long as I could, and it got to where I couldn't. And and it was just, it was such a relief. I, I went to the club, I started going dancing and all this sort of stuff. And had I ever been to Devon there, I, I, I had a jail, you know. I pulled in there one night, and you know, we had that bumper sticker, fair pay for safety. Yes. I still had one on my car. Okay. I left Willie's and went to Devon there. Uh -huh. And I pulled in there, and I get out, and there's a cop sitting behind me with a red light on. <laughs> he said, "He said your your license plate's expired." I said, "That's your ass." He said, "Well, look at it." <laughs> I said, well, "It must be in the glove compartment because I did have it done." Yeah. He said, "Where where you work?" I said, "I'm investigator the fire department." He said, "Well, check, get that on your license plate." He drove off. Okay. Man. Yeah. She called me about six months ago. Your sister? Yeah. I am so depressed. I said, my God, what is it now? Hasn't been that long probably, but anyway, her husband. Yeah. She said, I got a deal from Swab. And she said, I got $970,000. I said, and you're depressed? <laughs> you're, you, you're depressed? I said, that sounds like a new Ford pickup. I'm not buying it. <laughs> she said, well, Carl, she really didn't have any idea. Mm -hmm. She knew he did that stuff. Right, you know. took care of that part, but, yeah. But, and she said, he got that money together for us to enjoy. And I said, that's not so. He said, he told you that you were going to outlive him. And he knew that. And he did that so that you wouldn't have any financial worries the rest of your life. He wanted to be sure that you were safe and secure. He did that for you. He didn't do it for him yeah. or y'all. And you need to understand that. You, you've got to get in the real world. Yeah. You know? It helped her? I guess it did. I, I need to go down there. Her daughter was married. 16 years and her husband came home and said, I want a divorce. Yeah. She had married this guy and he had a six-year-old boy who had learning disabilities. So mm -hmm. she, from 16, from six to 16 more years, she, she was involved with it. My brother-in-law's sister had a condo on Merritt Island. I mean, on Cocoa Beach. They live on Merritt Island. She had one on Cocoa Beach. And a house in Melbourne, she's in real estate, but she decides she wants to go back to Tennessee, so she sells these to her younger brother. Yeah. Well, he rented the house in Melbourne and, and really turned it, it's a efficiency condo, mm -hmm. really turned it into a storeroom. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So That's an expensive storeroom. When bet. his daughter gets married, he has him redo the kitchen and put a Murphy bed in, you know, that mm -hmm. goes down. But it's still basically, it ain't leased to anybody, it's just there. Yeah. So she moves in there. When he said, you know, I want a divorce, she said, fine, she took her stuff and moved over there. Mm -hmm. Well, her son, who's young, they're younger than the daughter, he married a gal, had two kids, and he bought a house. And So I told her, I said, look, 
you need to ask Betsy if she wants that condo. She's living in it. If she wants it, you just deed it to her. And you get a real estate appraisal on it, and you give Carl the same amount of money. That's got to happen eventually. Something's got to be done with right. it. And then you leave them both the house, and if one of them wants it, they buy the other one out, or they sell it and split the money. Those things need to be taken care of now, because mm -hmm. she may be in the early stages of Alzheimer's. She repeats herself, you know. She'll right. We'll be talking, and she'll tell me something about four times in the conversation. Yeah, yeah. So she needs, to, I, I guess I need to go down there and help her. It's better now than later. You're right yeah. about that. Yeah, I, um, I need to go on down there and handle that. Have you taken care of all your stuff like that? Oh, Is that yeah. something you're big on to... Well, kind of be I've wasted, I've wasted a lot of money, but I have one son, and when his mother died, you know, I just left everything to him. Then when I remarried, I said, well, I did that pension deal, so when I die, nothing changes, you know, okay. whatever it was you do. I set up a trust for my grandchildren with an insurance policy. When mm -hmm. I died, funds that trust. Right. I, I gave my son 60% of my drop, and... My new wife, forty percent. Mm -hmm. I only worked two years, married to her. Right. And when I told the lawyer that, she looked at me. I said, "You're gonna get a pension, and forty percent of this money. He's not gonna get a pension. Yeah. You're gonna be all right. Yeah, you'll be all right. You're gonna get a house. I I put her on the deed of the house. You know. I mean, I'm in this. I'm in this for the rest of my life. You know." Wednesday, we had a board meeting, and then my neighbor passed away, and I was Paul Burr. So that was at 2.30. And then had a, I'm a director of the museum, so I would meet down there. I cleaned up a little bit. I didn't know I was going to be a Paul Burr, but I got my hair cut and mm -hmm. barber trimmed my beard. I threw all my ties away when I <laughs> retired. But I put on a sports coat. And, and then between the funeral and the... Museum, we got to take the dog to the vet. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's always. So, so we're in there was a dog in this little room, and she said, Gee, you're a good looking man. I said, What? <laughs> you, I, I got to get a doctor's point. You need a psychiatrist. <laughs> she said, Well, you, you are a good looking man. You Steve, are good -looking Steve Olson and I were working the fair. I was Lieutenant Steve was during the fair. And my boy was about six, and Barbara brought him out there. And Steve spent about fifty dollars trying to find him a coupie doll and all that. Anyway, then, then we go to the old mill, you know, Mexican restaurant, uh -huh. and we walk him back to the car. And he said, "How's your wife's a real tomato?" I said, "That's a hell of a way to talk about a man's wife." He, now that that means she's nice. That's the latest term. Okay, tomato. I never heard that term. So. I said. Well, that's even worse. And he <laughs> said, what do you mean? I said, that you would think that I would marry an ugly woman? <laughs> that's a real insult. Uh, it's he, hard to say something nice. He said, I can't win. <laughs> I, uh, I retired in 2007, and we have a, prov a provision for active retired people, mm -hmm. members. And so I've continued to pay my dues. I pay it quarterly. Rudy Vallis was a trustee, and he ran for president, so he gave up the trustee. I ran for trustee, and that's where I am now. I'm in, I'm in the second year 
of my three-year term next year will be the end of it. I don't know whether I'll run again or not. I would like to probably if my health's all right, but I'm president of retirees. And we have over 700 members. I'm a trustee for the local. I'm a director of the museum. <laughs> I'm relatively active in my church, and I've created me a park. At the end of my alley was a vacant city lot. Mm -hmm. There was a house on it at one time. That's another story, but in December, I go to the council meeting, and I tell my council member, I said, I'm just to clean that lot up. I'm tired of looking at it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to clean it up. I hope I don't go to jail. He said, well, I don't think you'll go to jail. That's December 19th. So I go over there, and I cut all the dead wood as far as I can read. I got a 16-foot yeah. chainsaw. Yeah. And I mow, and I edge, and I do all this sort of stuff. If you, if you had all the brush and debris, I used 100 garbage bags. It, that brush pile would be four foot high and 30 feet long, but, I, right. you know, it's a little bit at a time. So yeah. I get it. I get it all cleaned up. And I said, well, I think I'll plant some flowers. So I planted some flowers. I had two benches that were old train, really pasture train seats that my grandparents had. And I had taken them apart and brought them down here and threw them up under my shop. So I got them out and painted them. I put them over there. I put up a flagpole, had a sign. <laughs> so it's what's just, the name of the park? The Long Timer. The Long Timer. But it's it's here in, in, in this corner here. This guy moved in there with his mom and daddy and sister in 1963. And then when mom and daddy died, he bought that house. Over here, these people have been there since 63. This lady on the corner, just she just got married and moved. She's got to be 90. Really? She moved there prior. But with, and I've been there since 75, and yeah. the guy's funeral that I went to yesterday, I mean Wednesday, he 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 been there since 72, and the guy across the street's been there since 69. So I said, you know, there's four or yeah. 500 year, years of people being right here. Sure is. Yeah. Why not the long timer? Right. So I went out there, and people that make our bricks for the mm -hmm. honor guard, honor walk, I went out there, and they made me a sign. I, enjoy, I go every day. Yeah. Pick up little sticks. <laughs> right, keep it nice. And yeah, I everything. need to mow it. So you uh, talk to your city council member, show them what your, your, your work or anything? Well. You come by to check on you? I was talking, you know, I got involved with, with neighborhood vitality. I bet you did. And then my neighbor, he goes to Home Depot and Rowlett and says, I need two picnic tables for my park. For my park. <laughs> so they said take them. So he brought one to the house and one to the park. I painted them and we swapped them. I painted them. Yeah. So now we need some grills. Okay. You know? So he calls the park department. Now he worked for FedEx. That should have been there yesterday. <laughs> and I work for the city. Don't do it today if you can put it off to tomorrow. Don't put it to tomorrow if you can put it off next week. I said, you, you, you can't push these people. Yeah. Just can't happen. So the gal from Neighborhood Vitality brought a guy from the party department out. And, and he, my buddy had talked to her also. He said, what is it you want here? I said, I want a grill from there, a grill from there, and I want one of those dog stations. Okay. He said, where do you want them delivered? I said, just deliver them right here. I'll take them to the house and I'm ready to put them in. So yeah. I did that. You know. Cool. So they're in. I said, now I, I piss ended 20 gallons of water twice a day over here <laughs> to water all this stuff. I want a water meter. Water. I said, all the parks are water. I just want to 
water or tap right here, right, which I pay the water hose and do this. Well, we're right on the very corner of another neighborhood group. Okay. So we're really in theirs. I said, I want one just for this one block, 3710 days. This is, this is it. Anyway, so they got the meter set. I, it's got a creek behind it, goes to the back. Mm-hmm. So I wanna, I'm going to build a fence fence off that creek yeah. and there was an old fountain deal there that the kids got out and played it's mm-hmm. now about to fall in because it's washed some more so i'm talking to my buddy i said you know i need to i need to talk to the city attorney because whenever i start this fence process it's coming to legal and i don't want him to think some crazy old man wants to build a fence on city property yeah. he said i know the number really? one assistant i've known him since he's little so i go down i spend 12 minutes in his office and I have these pictures. And mm-hmm. I said, you know, I've gathered up everything but the, but the fencing itself. I got the poles, the top rail, the fittings. I got all that stuff. But I said, I was president of the union, and I know everything happens goes through legal, and I didn't want you to think some crazy old man going to build his fence. Yeah. And I said, I appreciate your time. I don't know where the store was, the park department or, yeah. or a building department, but I'm going to find somewhere. So anyway, he said, I'm going to step over to the city manager's office. So I leave, I go to the laundry, I do it, and I come back, and he and another guy are over at the park. I go over there. Well, it's the number one assistant city manager. <laughs> and he said, well, Mr. Howard, we build fences. I said, I know, but I just thought I'd do it myself. And he said, where you want? I said, well, over here and here. So the next day, I get a call from the chief engineer, number one guy that has engineering. He said, we're going to be out to park tomorrow at 10 o'clock, you're going to come. I go over there, and there's eight people from the city there. Stormwater, streets, wow. neighborhood vitality, they're all here. And this guy who seems to be in charge, he said, well, where do you want this fence? I said, we walk over here to here and there to here. Yeah. He said, well, what if we go from here to there, there to there? I said, that's fine to me, you know. If that's what, where you want it. He said, what color you want? I said, I want green. He said, okay. He said, we're going to put a gate on each section, give you a key to the gate, but we'll take care of the creek side. You do what you want to over here. So then they go down here at the end of this alley, which is not paved, mm-hmm. and they they said, do you mind if we put a fence and a gate right here? I said, this, you own it? <laughs> he said, well, we don't want to detract from your park. I said, well, let over the hill. That'd be all right. Huh? So, so nothing happens. We're about, you know, I'm dealing with the city, so right, I'm not pushing. Was... So about, oh, I'd say three weeks, I called a guy who seemed to be, well, the engineer said, this was the, this was the 29th of September. Okay. And, and the engineer told, tells this guy, he said, we got some money in this fund that goes away tomorrow night at midnight. So <laughs> really? figure out how much this costs and use that money. Really? So I called him. I said, hey, Alan, where, where's the fence? He said, we can't find any green fence. Oh, okay. I said, can you get black? And he said, yeah. I said, make it black. So they make it black. And you put a lock on the gate. Yeah. So I waited two or three days, and I called him. I said, Where is I? where's my key? He says, my boss said, you didn't need a key. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> so I called the city attorney guy, and yeah. I tell him this story. I said, you know, I'm about to take my stuff and go home. I said, one guy tells me this is going to happen, and then who's there mm-hmm. 
And then some guy sitting behind a desk somewhere decides that ain't so. He said, call Judd Rex. That's the assistant. Said, call Judd and talk to him. <laughs> so I call him and I tell him the story. Yeah. I said, you got to be real careful when you give people authority. I said, here's a, I said, here's a joker sitting behind a desk who doesn't even know what's happening. Yeah. Makes a decision that invalidates a guy who's on the scene's decision. Mm-hmm. He said, don't run the white flag up yet. <laughs> Sounds a little bit like fire department. So at 3 o'clock, the guy calls and says, my boss said, bring your key. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at, at 9 o'clock Monday. Yeah. You got your key yet? Yeah, well, I, I got it. All right. So then the guy shows up with the water, and they go down and they put a tap on the main and mm-hmm. set the meter box. And they're going to go under the sidewalk and set an irrigation box. With, they call it a bib. I call it a faucet. Yeah. You know. So that's where we are. That's not done yet. Okay. So the city manager calls me, assistant. And he said, uh, I want to interview you. I said, okay. So I go down there and he brings the PR people out. <laughs> And, and I said, what is this all about? He said, well, I want to make this video. And, and I, I want to use this as training. I said, you, you just, I'll, he said, I'm, 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 it's nice if you take the initiative to do something. Mm-hmm. So maybe it will encourage our employees to take the initiative. Okay. I like that spin on it. <laughs> so the lady comes to the park and we sit at the bench and mm-hmm. talk and this guy's got his video stuff set up right. he comes out the next week and he said I just thought I'd he had a drone he said I thought I'd take some pictures to crash it twice yeah. but anyway and uh, Mr. Rex asked about asked about your water I said I ain't got it yet he said i tell him <laughs> So then he comes back the next week and my neighbor gave us a swing and me and my buddy tried to get it all put up. So he, 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 we talk and then he walks, he said, come back and he said, it's, it's better here than this office. I'll help you put this swing together. Yeah. I said, be sure and tell him about the water. So I don't know when they're going to show up to do the water. <laughs> well, you've got a long history of just getting stuff done. Uh, Kind of leading by example, yeah. and not being scared to make phone calls. You do what you know. The the son of the guy that I was the father for, mm-hmm. he was cremated. We just sat there. He called me, and I and said, "Dad, wants you to be a father." I said, "I'd be honored." I mean, that, I mean that's, that says he thinks you're a pretty good guy. The neighbor. After the service, I I walked up to the boy. He's the middle boy. And told him, I you know, you know, I'm sorry. I said, his his wife had remarried. I said, you tell Betty if she needs anything, just give me a call. And he said, Don, I really appreciate that. And I said, Carrie, you just do what you do. You know, you do what you do what needs to be done. Yeah. You know, my my family, my aunt, my daddy's sister had no children, so she thought I was her child. She tried to boss me. Why don't you run for a state office? Why don't you run for an international office? I said, 
to be elected president of your local and to be reelected is a much better honor than being a state president or international president because everybody knows you personally. They know what they're getting and they elect you. Yeah. You go to the state level, maybe 15% of the people know you really, you know, mm -hmm. you get to the international level, maybe 2% know you. Yeah. And what is what does a contest, an election come to when you get to those levels as well? What, is, well, there what are, gets you elected? There are 16 vice presidents with the international. We're in the 11th district. It's up, us in Oklahoma. You just, you just run for it. We had, Texas had that office for 50 years. Really? A guy took it away from Oklahoma. A guy, he kept it 30 years, and then we reelected another guy from Texas for 20 years. We had it 50 years, and we elected the guy from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. And the first time I met him, I said, I am prouder of you than you are. Really? Because they had a lot of guys in Oklahoma that were really good leaders, like Charlie Stone when they blew up the courthouse. Mm-hmm. He was the president of that local, much t more talented than our international vice president, who was from San Antonio, a personal friend of mine. Dallas made him. We made him a state vice president. Really? And we made him an international vice president. Yeah. His home local, San Antonio, they want to be the kingmakers. We ran Don Green for president of Texas in El Paso, mm -hmm. and they didn't vote for us. They voted for Don, he won. Yeah. And the guy who's the ex-president, who's the state vice president, campaigned for Don, he, he couldn't sway him. So then two years later in Apolline, we run Don and he wins, and San Antonio goes with us. But we would have won if it had gone the other way. Right. And I went up to their president, and I said, I don't owe you nothing. You remember that you could have helped us in, San, in El Paso, and you didn't. You went with us this time, and then we had won if you'd have gone yeah. the other way. That's just who you are. You played that game. I was at an Rice convention, and they had a state vice president. You know, I'm, I got my ears open all the time, and I, <laughs> I go up to him, and I said, Sonny, they're going to run Buddy Moss against you for state vice president. He said, oh, they wouldn't do that. I said, I guarantee you they're going to if you don't stop. I'm telling you, you know it, and you go back to your local, and get your groundwork done. Well, he didn't do it, and they sure enough. Yeah. Yeah. So you the kingmaker? I've been involved in some. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> Clearly you have yeah. been involved in some you stuff. You know, uh, Jim McDade, our, our president, he was our uh, MDA guy. Raised, you know, right. We raised tons of money, mm -hmm. more than ever. We were up in the bar after the meeting, and he said, Don, I'm thinking about running for president. What do you think about that? I said, Jim, I think it's a good idea. I was thinking about asking you. So it was. He wanted my opinion. Mm -hmm. Hell, I was retired. I guess or close to retirement. You proud of the work that Local 58 does? And the, absolutely. What, absolutely. Pro what projects they got going on right now? That you're. Well, they've done real well in meeting confer. You know, that it's not a it's three year contract so. You know, guys are having so many wrecks, and, they, and the, they, we are busy defending, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And apparently, a lot of the paramedics are not getting the paperwork done and done right. 
and get it in. Yeah. Patient report? Yeah, you okay. know, whatever. Yeah. But the, our, our grievance people are busy going to internal affairs, which is good. You know, sometimes you, you're forced to defend the guy you really don't want to. Right. Yeah, but they broke, he, he broke the rules, but they did too. Yeah. It, that's the way we went a lot of times because the fire department doesn't do it just like it's supposed to be yeah. done. I know the, uh, even before I retired, the accident review board had changed and it was causing a lot of issues. Well, I think it's going back, but we just, you know, you're required to have backers when you're backing up. Why, right. why, why don't you do it? <laughs> and they're beginning to hold the officers responsible, right. you know, which I think they should personally. I mean, he ain't driving, but he's he's sitting there with he can reach out uh, and touch him, he can smack him. Yeah, he can get out and he should be a well, better too. I, I'm no, I'm just talking about driving, you know. Yeah, you can slap him, say slow down, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's hard. Uh, you know, my you wife. You take a bunch of go getters. Yeah. And you put them in the into a go getter situation, and you just want them to slow down, be careful, don't do this, don't you know? It's it's tough. Yeah, my my wife would like for me to sit in the house there and watch television all day with her. Really? Yeah. I said that kills old men. It does. That kills old men. Sitting still and yeah, just, we don't even but have. But I have this week and a little bit of last week. Come in and spend about an hour. All right. Maybe out two hours and then I go back out. Mm-hmm. You know, and I can understand. She's just sitting there. Watching television, I can't say it, but anyway. She'd come in with you. She'd come with you down to the park, and you'd you'd give her an assignment. She doesn't like the park because I spend too much time (laughs) over there. She says, are you you in that damn park? I said, it's keeping me alive. Right. Come on with me. It's keeping me alive. Yeah. She walks the dog over, and life is really what you make of it. That's right. That's you know, yeah, it, really in is. reality, there are certain things you can't control, a lot of things you can't control. Sure. But you just, you work around them right. and deal with it. It was not intended to just be wine and roses. Right. Eve tricked Adam into eating an apple and kind of ruined things for us. <laughs> <laughs> That's one story, and that is a story. But, you know... I just can't imagine a person not believing that there's a power greater than us. There's, there's something that's for sure. When you look at the, just look at the human body, right? The brain, how we all got here. I mean, the way it's put together. This does that. That does this. Yeah, it's like your brain is the is like almost as complicated as the universe. They think. You know, in in itself, it's like its own little universe. It's My so uncle, the neurosurgeon, said it's floating up there on a pool of spinal fluid, and it will shut down every system to protect itself. Right. He said everything. He's. This was back when we had reel to reel recorders mm-hmm. before all the electronics. Yeah. And the cameras. He said, it's and, and VCRs. He said it's just it's just like a camera and a recorder. Everything you have ever seen right. or heard is there. If we just could figure out how to get access it out. Access it. Access yeah. it, yeah. It's there. Yeah. He said, hey, we're doing something to a guy. 
And he said, what's going on? And he said, I'm six years old out in the front yard playing. Really? <laughs> Not always true or not, but he told me. Right, him. yeah, that's yeah. what he's experiencing. Probing around. Yeah. Well, but, all right, I don't want to keep you... Uh, well, from, I know you got a lot of stuff going on, and I really appreciate I mean, it's been two hours and ten minutes so far. Time goes by, doesn't it? You're not careful. I don't think I ever... I wonder if I'd ever run down. Paul, I, I bet you would. I hope I hope it's, this does some good for somebody. I, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. It's going to be interesting for a lot yeah. of folks. Um, I've done... Um, Ronnie Hoggett was the first retired firefighter that I've done. <laughs> Is that a name I should have brought up earlier? Okay, we got you got time for one story. Oh yeah, I got it. Hoggett's down on the board. Okay. Switchboard. Yep. He Richard made second Ma driver and went to the Richard Machina is the captain. Richard had to own the largest portable oil drilling rig east of the Rockies and leave my my Lee Michaels at twenty five. I think so. that sounds right. He drove it. But anyway. Okay. Richard gets over here in the corner and he calls and Hoggett answers the phone. Yeah. He said, I didn't have one. What's the matter? He said, I got, I got semen in my blood. I work over here at the Lone Star, and I got semen in my blood. I need to go to the hospital. You got what? Semen in my blood. And he just goes on and on, and I guess, you know, finally he said, we're not, and I'm sorry, but, you know, we're, we're not coming. Well, about two hours later, Machine doesn't get something moves around, but about two hours later, he comes over and sits down pretty close to Ronnie, and he said, you know, you learn a lot down here. He said, I was down here one night. It was about 2.30 in the morning, and this guy called, and he said, I have semen in my blood. And I said, what? <laughs> yeah, I work out here at the Lone Star. He said, I didn't say him in Amazon. He said, you know, the guy died. And I just said, Cam! Because <laughs> I knew what was going All on. Right. I was trying to keep a straight face, but... <laughs> uh, that would be scary. He's yeah, a, funny. He is a... Ronnie is so... He's got so many great stories. He's the salt of the earth, I'll guarantee you. He raised two good boys. Like and I, I really don't know Jake and not the other one. Mm -hmm. He's driver at Truck 25C. Yeah. yeah. Burl. Burl. Al, I don't know what his name is. It's Al, but Burl. Yeah. I don't know how he came across Burl. I, I thought and he's Burl actually got an older son that's huh? not on the fire department. He actually has an uh, oldest son from the first marriage that's not on the fire department. But yeah, both good fellas. Yeah, Al's giving up his, he's been a trustee. Well, who are you going to put in his place? I've already done that. Oh, have you already? You already killed the guy. You already know. <laughs> okay. I called Doug Dickerson. And he's a member of Meredith, which means he's a member, but he doesn't have to pay dues, basically. Okay. Oh, so I said, hey, Dick, I'll get trustees up, and if you come to the meeting tomorrow night or the next night, you will have attended the six required meetings to run for that position. Yeah. <laughs> and he shows up right. and gets elected. There you go. So now all the trustees are retired. Really? David Lindsay, Doug Dickerson, <laughs> and myself. Is that a good thing? Got a little more. Uh... I think it is. And and trustees are not on the executive board. And I have a motion that we'll vote on 
this month to put, we were on it for years. Okay. I don't know when we came off. When I was trustee in the 80s, I was on the board. Yeah. I don't. But David and I, now most of the time, we come to all the board meetings. You, you know, sometimes you wonder about, I'm supposed to be watching the money, and I'm at the board voting to spend money. Mm-hmm. I would have no trouble. The retirees, mm-hmm. the trustees are on the board, but they can't vote to spend money, which would be fine. You would vote out there, but mm-hmm. not on the board. You know, if you wanted to vote to spend it. If you agreed with it, you could vote on it when it came before the body. Right. To amend the motion to do that. I don't think McDade likes the idea, <laughs> really and truly. And there are reasons for that. I know what they are, but I won't discuss it here because there probably be some problem listening. <laughs> there probably He's, will be some Jim problem. is doing a good job as president. They're doing a good job representing the membership, and that's what it's all about. It is, yeah. I don't, agree. I don't agree with some of his methods, but every president has their own way. Right. In the past, I served on the board with a bunch of them, and some of their ideas I agreed with and some sure. I didn't. Yeah. You know, and I, I guess some of my, when I was president, some of the board didn't agree with it. Surely not. Did, Surely you, not. did you know Sparky Smith? You yes, I worked around him. I never yeah. signed with him, but yes, I, I, okay. a little bit. This is hilarious. You, you know Chris Williford? Yes. Do you know Hack, his daddy? Yes, okay. a little bit. Okay. We're at a board meeting. Chris is our EMS rep. Sparky's trustee, I think. I'm not sure. But anyway, some discussion comes up. And Chris is very opinionated on a lot of issues. You're shitting me. And he was very opinionated on this, which was opposite of Sparky's position. Okay. So Sparky starts talking. Well, Sparky's this guy, the longer he talks, the louder he gets. Okay. <laughs> then he finally finishes. He's <laughs> Chris, Chris says, Sparky, if you think I'm impressed with that loud talk, you're nuts. I've lived with that my whole life. <laughs> and the whole board erupted. <laughs> That's funny. There's a lot of good, uh, a lot of good fireman stories. A lot of funny yeah. fireman stories. I, that fire where, uh, I can't think of the guy's name, got in a fight with Kenneth Parker. Um, Richard Dainsworth? Huh? Dainsworth? No, no, this was at a fire scene. Oh, okay. He was in there, Greg, something, and Parker was in there, he stuck the nozzle in the window. That guy came right out, right around there, climbed his hump. Oh, okay. So they called 984 out there. Yeah. And I'm walking up there, and, and Chris is looking not sure he's even really telling it yet. Anyway, he said, Don, I saw something I've never seen before. I said, what is that? <laughs> he said, there's two Dallas farmers fighting now. <laughs> it's happened. It happens. And then they had that fire down there off of Camp Wisdom in Bonneview, I guess it was, or Lancaster. They had a 211 over here and some more street strawberry and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And they had, had all that stuff. They had Hatcher shows up. He's an assistant chief. Then he comes, and Chris is standing there. I'm thinking, Hatcher walks up there and says, what in the hell is going on? He said, I've been walking past fire equipment for two blocks. (laughs) He said, well, we we got a 211 over there, and we got this that's about to get here and all that. He said, get this under control and clear clear some of this up. (laughs) And he turned around and walked off. 
Chris said, I've never seen an assistant chief do that. There's a hatchet story, I'll tell one. We get, we got a fifth in Grand Prairie. You know, we used to. We just, mutual aid, we got that, and, you know, we'd put a third on it or a fourth, right. or, and we just answered it all. Yeah. I don't know. One of those deals in Grand Prairie. Salvage yard, or okay. I don't remember exactly. But we got a fifth alarm on Hatcher's going home. He lives in Arlington, so he stops, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, he sort of starts doing a little directing. Uh, and the Grand Prairie chief comes up and says, Chief, this is my fire. And Hatcher says, well, I'll just take my stuff and go home. He said, no, just do what you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> Tell you just, one more story. Keep me involved. There on the east side of Central Expressway is a high-rise, and it's actually in University Park. Their maintenance for their vehicles used to be there. Okay. There's an area, Yale and a couple of those streets in there. Multistro got a fire on the third floor. Doc Kim, Doc Kim's in, so he's there. University Park's got their snorkel. They start raising the snorkel. Mm-hmm. And Doc Kim says, don't raise that. I got people on the third floor. You know, just put it down. And it goes on. A little while later, they start raising it again. He said, get your ass over and sit on the curb, and if you get off that curb, I'm going to have you arrested. Now, it's their fire. Yeah. <laughs> they just went over and sat out. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Well, I know they've several, you hear, you hear several stories about mutual aids where yeah. they just kind of sit around and wait for some Dallas guys to get there and actually do something. Uh, well, in the old days, we just kept putting alarms on. Yeah. <laughs> I was at an international deal in San Diego, and there's some people there from Canada. And they said, how many fire departments are in Dallas? I said, one. I said, one? I said, yeah. They said, well, how many engines do you have? And I don't remember what right. it was, like 49 probably. Yeah. Just one department, 49 engines. And I said, well, we surround a little town over there called Highland Park. We got 49 engines, but they have 51. And it's two and a half square mile. Uh-huh. <laughs> I said, they can have every one of us if they want. <laughs> right, yeah. Don said, Howard. Yes, sir. I really appreciate the time well, and the stories. Well, I've, the, had, uh, I've had a good time. I uh-huh. hope you have. I and really if you have. if think of something that we haven't covered that we need to, well, we can do it over the phone or something. All right. That I can yeah, I probably it. think of a good story. We love a good fire, fire department story. Yeah. Or any story. I loved it. I guarantee you. Oh, I was going. To, I was going to say, early on here, I, I never had a job I didn't like. Really? I wouldn't work a job I didn't like. Yeah. You know, I, I've heard friends, you know, work. They say, I hate my job. I said, quit. Yeah. Get another one. Do something. That, there's a bunch of them out there. I went to work at five. We changed at five. Mm-hmm. I I get there at three thirty, four o'clock, because I had rather go at three thirty. And do the whole thing is to go out there at 5:30 and relieve, right? Because it's just impossible to get everything he knows. Mm-hmm. It's, you just don't get it, right? So if you're there, if you're there originally, you know. Yeah. And in the mornings, I would wait till the fires were assigned, especially one that was we called them stinky, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would, I say, I'll go out to with you if you want me to, you know. Here, you know, because I've written a report, and I said, yeah. you read this and see if there's any question. I wasn't any hard to get home, you know, I was single. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, I, I just loved it. 
Uh, if I wasn't there at 4 o'clock, I said, they had, they had the police out hunting yeah. for me. Yeah. yeah, it's one of those jobs that you... I, and I never worked with the boss I didn't like. And I really never worked with anybody I, di I didn't like. And some people I wasn't quite as fond of sure. as others. Right. And I, I told one, I got a new, they got a new guy over there and they had him working with me. And we were talking about that and he said, a lot of that is your personality. Yeah, you, you you just adjust. You're best. You're about the best adjuster I know. Just adjust. <laughs> yeah, where 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 do I need to be? That's where I am. Yeah, that's a good way to get through life. I yeah, think, right? life. I I am so fortunate. My my grandparents raising good for me. My daddy was somewhat of a rounder, and so my granddaddy learned how to deal with okay. you know, growing a boy growing up. Uh huh. I mean, he told us a story every night before we went to bed. Really. Normally, the three little pigs, and there was a hard-working little bubble pig. Okay. Who solved all the problems. Hard-working little bumblebee? Bubba. Bubba. Yeah. Okay. Bubba pig. Bubba little. pig. Okay. Yeah. I got you. That was my nickname. Okay. Well, that was, he was, he was making me, he was you. teaching me. Right. Yeah. He was putting you into the story. Yeah, I got yeah. you. Every night he told us a story. Hard-working bubble pig. I, yeah. He ate a he ate a orange every day. He was quite the guy. You know, Miles Maynard, I'm tell you, family story. My grandmother ran things. He worked mm -hmm. the railroad. And she she ran things. And after the war, they bought all these war bonds, they cashed them in, they built some rent houses, and she dealt with the contractors, she did it all. Yeah. Her name was Elizabeth, and everybody called her Betty, but he called her Betsy. <laughs> And and we would be eating supper there, and she'd have something to, to project, you know. And right. she'd say, well, Don, you know, I was thinking, and she would start into this project. And if he liked it, he didn't say anything. But it got to the point where he would say, Betty, that was the end of it. We went off and talked about something else. Really? That stopped it. Betty? Because when he said Betty, it wasn't happening. No. <laughs> So I told my wife, I said, I told her that story. Her name is Donna Kay. I said, when we're talking, if I say Donna Kay, it's over. You stop it. She said, that ain't going to work. <laughs> it's a nice try, though. I said, it worked with my grandmother. <laughs> I was amazed. I, you know, I didn't think much about it as a kid. Yeah. But you're thinking about it. I mean, she was, her daddy died, and she got her inheritance, and he, they owned a home that had a roof like that, like a barn. Okay, like yeah. She had the roof torn off and a hip roof put on it. Oh, really? Because it looked like a barn. Yeah. Like we looked My aunt talked about we were moving the piano from room to room trying to keep it out of the rain. Yeah. I mean, they just tore it off and started over. <laughs> I don't like it. We're going to do something else. She was always moving a wall and doing this. Man. Some real home improvement right there, huh? Having it done. Yeah. Well, Paul, I've enjoyed you. I hope you have, because I, I have as well, and I think a lot of people will. I really have. You rattled off a lot of names <laughs> in two and a half hours. A lot of names, and I that's oh, really impressive. How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yeah. A book written by Dale Coyne. Yes, I have that book. All right. My first day in Dallas Fire Department. Lieutenant J.T. Alexander was my instructor. Mm -hmm. And the first day he handed me my book, he handed me that book and said, really? read this. I'll be done. 
you read that, that'll be the most important thing you learn is. That's what he said? Yeah. Did you read it? Yeah. <laughs> and I could remember people's names. Uh -huh. I mean, but I don't, I'm not good at it anymore because I don't, I don't think, well, you know, I'm old and uh, I just think they don't expect me to. Everybody's pal and bud. <laughs> pal and bud and yeah, bubba and. Yeah. So, but I, I can remember those people's name. One more story. A guy I went to grade school with. Another kid pushed me off the seesaw and it broke the collarbone and after school, Billy Makes whooped him. <laughs> now, after I got out of the Army, Billy Makes moved and after I got out of the Army, which was 62, and I was at the all-night restaurant in my hometown there, Sherman, and I looked back there and I saw this guy sitting in the back booth. And I kept looking at that rascal. <laughs> Who is that? I know I know that. I know that. Finally came Billy Meeks. So I walked back there and I said, Hey, bud, I think I know you. <laughs> he said, You do? I said, Yeah. I said, Go to school in Hound Gray School. Yeah. He lived out there north of town behind the Hillcrest Bear Joint. Yeah. Your name is Billy Meeks? He said, Yeah. Who are you? <laughs> I said, I'm Don Howard. He said, Don Howard. I said, Bubba. I said, God pushed, I can't remember the guy's name that pushed me off the seesaw, but I, but after school, you, you fought him. He said, I believe, I, I believe I remember that. He said, how in the world? Right, yeah. Did you, I said, well, I just looked back there and I saw you and I said, you know, I, I know that guy. Who is it? I said, the wheel started turning, you know. I just, I was eating my hamburgers, right. trying to figure it out. It just came to me. Yeah, I have a good memory. You do, you yeah. do. But gave I tell everybody. I remember the dog barking at the doc on at the doctor when he come up on the porch to deliver me. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't remember where my car keys are. Right. Learn to count. So you got glasses, keys, yeah. I, wallet, phone. I probably shouldn't put this on there, but oh well. Don and I went to Ireland with my sister's church group. Mm -hmm. She wanted us to go. Her son went because her husband wouldn't fly. But there was a lady there who brought her daughter and son-in-law and son and daughter-in-law. Okay. Well, the last night, the group, the people paid for dinner. Other okay. than that, we all went our separate ways. But the mm -hmm. tour people, they bought dinner last we're sitting across this table, and I don't know whether it was the son or the son-in-law. I understand you're a horse investigator. I said, that's all right. He said, well, how about telling us some good stories? So I told him about two or three fires, Claude Reinhardt and all, two or three others. And I said, but really, I, I'm an amateur gynecologist. I said, I never went to medical school. I just kind of felt my way around. <laughs> And I don't know whether it was the daughter or the daughter-in-law looked at my sister and said, is he lying? <laughs> and my sister said, if his mouth is moving, he probably is. <laughs> but that just came out. Right. I, 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 I mean, I, I can't imagine I did that. <laughs> Surprised yourself. Either, yeah. Huh? Surprised yourself. I thought it was pretty clever, but yeah, it wasn't the hardest thing to say to a bunch of people you don't know. Yeah. All right, Don. Well, Paul. You hungry? You ready for lunch? No. I got to go take care of Mama. All right.